Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. All right, I am so excited to be with you here this morning, so excited with what God is doing. Um, If you have never been outside of America, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that Americans don't know. And so uh, that secret is that America has luxurious toilets. I don't know if you know that, but if you go, uh, I got some pictures of my daughter, uh, Joy, she was in Tanzania for six months uh, over two different trips, and this is her toilet. Uh, I think we've got a picture of that right now. That's it. That's where she would go. Um, I've been to Haiti, and uh, if you've been to Haiti, they have actually some toilets with water, but every time we would go out there, um, you would lift up the lid, and there was just a swarm of mosquitoes in there. And so you had to decide, like, how bad do I need to go right now? Like, we, and you'd have to make that choice. So, and even like going to Europe, I've been to Estonia and a few other countries in Europe, and they're just littler here. You know, you come to America, like, ah, oh, these toilets are, they're palatial. You know, they call it a throne for the reason, right? Here, it's pretty nice in America. So, but you wouldn't know that if you've never been out because you're just used to that. That's what you've lived with. That's, that's how it works here. And um, that feeling that idea of, wow, this is a little different, that actually should be familiar to us. So I want to bring you to 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11 here. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you, as you look at these passages, as I'm going to take you through a few passages that are similar to this, look at everybody uh, in Scripture here who is saying a similar thing. And I think that this is something that Scripture, since it's repeated from a number of different voices, uh, that God would say, pay attention to this. Uh, this is an important word here. And so 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you, and here it is, as aliens and strangers in this world. See, we're foreigners here. Things should be different for us. It should feel a little uncomfortable. And because we are strangers and aliens, this is what he tells us to do. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I want you to understand that sin is a war against your soul. That it comes to destroy you. And that's why Scripture tells us, abstain from that, walk away from that, because God doesn't want to see you destroyed. And then it says, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So, they're going to accuse us of doing wrong. Those Christians are horrible, they're hypocritical, they're judgmental. But we want to live in such a way that they say, yeah, but they're pretty nice too. And they're loving and they care. In fact, I I think the most powerful way that we would see this is in your life for the people that you interact with, those people who would say, ah, I can't stand those Christians, I can't stand the church, I can't stand organized religion, but you're different. This friend of mine here is different. I don't know, she's one of them, he's one of them, but, but the way that they live actually draws me to what they have going on here. Now, we're in this Awake series. We're just starting right now, and this doesn't happen very often, but I actually felt like God asked us to completely change our focus for the next four weeks. So we were going to be talking about culture and and living differently, and we'll talk a little bit about that today because it's important where we're going. But I really felt in a number of the pastors we got together and talked about it, feel like God is asking us to focus on and prepare our hearts for revival. 
So we're going to be talking about revival for the next four weeks. And listen, you don't want to miss any of this series. So today we're just going to kind of be building some of the scaffolding, just some of the foundations that God would ask us to do to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our midst. But I believe that God wants to move. I think he wants to bring revival to our gathering, and he wants to bring revival to your homes, and he wants to bring personal revival to our hearts, and I want to be ready. And so we're going to talk about what revival is, and I'm really excited a few weeks from now, I'm going to talk about the soil for revival. What does it take? How can we be ready for what God wants to do? And then we're going to talk about the fruit of it and and how we could recognize it and uh, some counterfeits to it as well, Uh, because I believe that God is doing an amazing thing. In fact, anybody been following Asbury College right now? Isn't that exciting? So if you don't know, those kids, they started a chapel at the college um, about 16, 17 days ago, and they just didn't stop. They just kept worshiping for 16 16 days straight. And God is is lighting these little fires. And I want to encourage you to join me in praying, especially in our young people. I pray that this moves in our colleges. I I believe that they are desperate right now for a move of God. And so I'm praying into that, asking that he would move. But you know what? We get to see a move of God in our midst as well. And it may be different. It may be the same. I don't know. But we're going to see what God wants to do. And I just want to set the sails and be ready for when he moves. So we're going to talk today about um, this first step, how we can get ready. You know, uh, about, uh, well, 12 years ago, before I started, uh, as a senior pastor here, um, God gave me a very, very clear word. And he, he really told me, he said, really your mission, Carl, is to get them ready. To get us ready. For what? For the return of Jesus. For the time that we meet Jesus face to face. For the things that he wants to do in our midst. I believe that God has been getting us ready, asking me to help you get ready. That's what I've been focusing on. And then in 2020, um, God gave me one of two dreams that I've had that I know were absolutely from him. And as a result of that dream, he he gave kind of a little additional word to that. And and so the first word was get them ready. And then the second word was call them out. Call them out. And I want to show you what I mean by that. If you go over to Revelation 18, verse 4. Now John is having this amazing vision where Jesus is letting him know what's to come. And then he talks about Babylon. And so Babylon in Revelation, it stands for the system of the world, it stands for sin, it stands for everything that is anti-God and anti-Christ. And in verse 4, speaking of Babylon, this is what Jesus says. It says, then I heard another voice from heaven say, speaking of Babylon, he says, come out of her, my people. Come out of the world system. Come out of the ways of the world. Come out of the sin of the world. Come out of her, my people so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. So as we talk about revival, some of the scaffolding that I want to talk about right now, the beginning, as we're laying this foundation, the idea, first of all, is to come out of the world. See, now, I I want you to understand, we'll talk more about this later, that revival isn't about emotion. It's not about activity, it's about transformation. It's about, see, because when you encounter, the, encounter God, you will change. You will be transformed. And so we start from this moment. And now we saw what um, Peter had to say. I want to show you what Paul has to say about the same topic. So go over to Philippians. And we'll go to chapter 3, verse 20. Now remember what Peter said. This is what Paul says. 
verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, we are citizens of heaven. Now, if you have traveled outside of the U.S., especially if you go to a country, like I remember I went to Romania right after Ceausescu had been uh, removed from power. So it was a little unstable. And it was just interesting, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't like threatening, but you would, like when we pulled in on the bus, like guys with machine guns would come into the bus and look at our passports. It was just intimidating, you know? Or when you come back from Haiti, it just doesn't feel real safe. And there's this feeling when you land in New York or Houston or Dallas or wherever you land, I, I don't know, every time I do, I have this, this thought, this feeling of like, okay, I can get home from here. I can make it now, right? And see, that's actually, we should feel a little uncomfortable in this place because this place isn't our home. It can feel a little threatening because this world here is not where we, we're citizens, And so the first step of revival, the way to prepare our hearts is to come out of the world, to leave her behind in the way that the world thinks and acts. It's not for us because we have a different citizenship. We're going for the eternal things. And now it's not to be judgmental. It's not to be hypocritical. It's not to say, well, we're better. It's to say we're set apart. We're singing this morning all about how holy God is. And see, he makes us holy, which means that we are set apart. We are not of this world. There's something else for us. He's calling us to something greater. I was talking to some uh, friends um, the other day about a series that I think we should do here, and I think we should call it um, My Broken Family. Because I, you know, I look at my family, and you know one thing that as I hang out with my family, all of us, we all have issues. All of us. And we're just not perfect. Now, I love my family, and my kids are amazing, but they've got issues. And if they go to counseling as adults right now, I have given them plenty of material to use. It's just like, I'm telling you, I am not, that, I'm not a great parent. I'm doing my best, but it's like, ugh. And there are people in the world who don't know Jesus that have better families than I do. They're doing parenting better than I am. Okay, now, parenting and family, that's huge to us. And it's huge to God. I mean, that's why we have a marriage and family pastor. That's why Sarah moved into that role. Because we want your family to win. We, we want you to thrive. But see, that's actually not the point. Being better than the world is actually not the point. The point is to come out of sin. And to be reunified and connected with God. That's the difference. It's either being with God or apart from God. And sure, life should come to your family and life should come to your home, but it's not because I'm a Christian I didn't become better. I became holy. I became set apart. And I am to live like a foreigner in this place. I'm not to live like the world. So what do we do? Well, the first thing the scripture says is we abstain from its sinful desires. Did you see Peter said that? Now let's see what John says. We've heard from Paul. We've heard from Peter. And now let's hear, I mean, all the big guns here of Scripture are saying the same thing. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, there's a choice. Which one are we going after here? For everything in the world, catch this, the craving of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has has and what he does, 
comes not from the Father, <clears throat> but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Now, this is why it's so important that we come out of sin. That we come out of the world. Because look what happens. The world and its desires pass away. It's not going to last. But the man, the woman who does the will of God lives forever. That's why this difference is so important. That's why we have to come out of the world because it is temporary and there is so much more. See, we are citizens of heaven. And did you see that the world comes at you with cravings and it comes at you with lusts? I want to show you an example. So um, right now, if you want to bring up this uh, picture here, this is a bourbon s'more with bacon. Does anybody want one? I want one. Now, did you want one 30 seconds ago? No, you didn't. Now I've ruined the rest of the sermon for you. You're just going to be sitting there thinking about s'mores and bacon bourbon, right? And you didn't even know you wanted it until it puts it up right there in front of your face. See, that's what the world does. See, I've got another picture for you. Go ahead and bring uh, this one up there. Anybody want a hamburger right now? I don't know. That, I don't, to you, I don't know how that, that looks delicious to me. That's exciting to me. So you could have that or you could have this next thing. It's up to you. Which do you want? Who wants a salad right now? Now here, yeah, a couple, you guys are so good and healthy, way to go. This is what the world does, is it is constantly sowing dissatisfaction. Why? So it can produce sin. You didn't even know you wanted it. And the world says, here, but what about this? Have you thought about this? Look at this. Salad's not gonna do any longer right now. I need that, I need that bourbon s'more here. I found a, a video clip that I think actually shows how a lot of Christians think about righteousness, how a lot of us think about living for Jesus. And it's from uh, Nacho Libre. And he, he's trying to, to be a monk and live in this monastery, but you can see there's another pole. He wants to be a wrestler. And look at, look at how he is so excited about following God and doing God things. Here, let's go ahead and play that clip. Ignacio, they are wrestling in a sacred place. Okay, our fans, listen to me. Listen to Ignacio. I know it is fun to wrestle. A nice pile drive to the face, mm -hmm. or a punch to the face. But you cannot do it, because it is in the Bible not to wrestle your neighbor. So you've never wrestled? Me? No, come on, don't be crazy. Listen, I know the wrestlers get all the fancy ladies, and the clothes, and the free creams and lotions. But my life is good. Really good. I get to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. make some soup. It's the best. I love it. I get to lay in a bed by myself all of my life. It's fantastic. Look. Go away! Read some books! See, you should expect that the world is going to put the best creams and lotions before you. <laughs> Calling you forward, you know, this is what you want. And you, you look at Ignacio there and it's just like, you can tell that he wants something more. And that's what the world does, is it constantly is putting dissatisfaction before you. 
So you think about serving the Lord, you know, I get to be in a bed by myself my whole life. It's fantastic. Right? But I want you to understand something. The world is lying to you. It's lying to you. I know. Do you know how I know? Because I have engaged in some pretty appetizing looking sins. And I can tell you that every single time that I fulfilled a craving and a desire outside of the way God would have me do it. Every time that I disobeyed God to fulfill my craving, every single time it leads to disaster and hurt. Every single time. You know the thing about that big hamburger? What they didn't do is they didn't put the big bottle of Tums next to it that you're going to need. What comes after it, right? And can you, I would challenge you, can you think of a sin that was worth it? Can you look back on your life? Is there any time where you would say, I am so glad I sinned? There's not one. Not a single time. I have all sorts of regrets. I have all sorts of times where I wish I would have said something different. I would have done something different. But I can't tell you one time when I said, well, I disobeyed the scripture and it worked out really good. I'm so glad I did that. You know, you go back to Genesis and there's this, it, it almost drives me crazy to read it. Because Eve is just about to sin. And the, and the enemy puts this temptation before her. And you know what it says before she sins? It says, and she looked at the fruit, and it was pleasing to the eye. That drives me crazy. Because all of mankind have to suffer now. All of us fall, and it's all broken. Why? Because the fruit looked tasty. Because it looked appetizing. And we could point our fingers at Eve, but you know it's the same way with you and me. It is the exact same way. The world looks so appetizing. Here's the thing. Sin and the world is much better at marketing than righteousness. Do you know why? Because they play, it plays on your cravings. It plays on your desires. It puts it out there for a little bit. Oh, that looks really, really good. But you have to understand it's lying to you. And when we say that is worldly, we just mean that is so temporary. It won't last. When we say it's worldly, we're just like, that is so unfulfilling. Don't do it. When we say it's worldly, we say it's just, it's just so counterproductive. It is so not worth it. Don't give your heart over to the things of the world because it will destroy and you will regret it. So come out of her. God says, change your mindset, your heart, your life. Don't live for the world anymore. We're living for the King of Kings. We're living for eternity. So how do we deal with the cravings? How do we come out of Babylon? How do we come out of the world? Here's your first line of defense when it comes to craving. The first thing is gratitude. Such a powerful weapon that we have. Gratitude for what you have. If you're thinking of something that, that wants to, to pull away your faith or, or to take you from your family, the best thing to do is to start taking inventory of what God has given you. It's a powerful tool that we have in our marriage. I just think about who Gina is and what she has put up with, with me and how kind she is and how faithful she is. And I'm just so thankful for her. And it makes all these cravings and all these other ways to go, they, just, it's silly in comparison with what God has given. Here, here's a second line of defense. So first start with gratitude. The second thing to do is think more about the aftermath and less about the moment. Because the moment is lying to you. And here's the thing. The moment lasts a moment. The aftermath lasts for the rest of your life. 
So if you're being pulled away to unfaithfulness, to infidelity, for example, imagine the moment afterwards. Think about that. Think more about that. Think about telling your wife about it or your husband about it. Think about talking to their spouse. Think about going before your kids in the aftermath that would come. Think less about the moment and a little bit more about what follows. And here's a third line of defense and probably I think the most powerful one, which is to pursue the real thing. The best way to, to eat better is to not avoid junk food. It's to pursue nutrition. See, it's the same thing here. So we chase after him. We look for him. You know, every time, this is one of the reasons I want revival, is because every time we come in his presence, we're changed. We're transformed. Every time you encounter God, you will be different. And that's the real heart of this whole thing, is God make us different. Bring us out of the world. Get us ready. Get the bride of Christ ready for your return. That's what he wants to do, and I believe that's what he is doing. And he's calling us to get ready for him. And part of it is his amazing sovereign work, but part of it is our response to say, okay, I'm going after you, Jesus. I want all that you have to give me. And we bring these cravings, and listen, most sin starts from real cravings, real desires, legitimate needs. But what we say is, well, we're not gonna wait for God's way, and we're just gonna grab it our way. And that's where the destruction comes. So we bring these needs and these cravings to God and we say, okay, Lord, help me with this. What should I do with this? I desire to do this your way. And how short-sighted it is if we live like citizens of this world. Do you notice that Peter says <clears throat> you should expect accusations? If you're gonna live this way, if you're going to reject the world and its values, don't expect the world to celebrate. Expect resistance. Though they accuse you of doing wrong. That's what's going to come. And Jesus takes it further. So now we've listened to all the big voices, all the big guns. Now let's see what Jesus has to say in John 15, verse 18. Not just accuse you, but check this out. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. Now here, he's saying what we've been hearing over and over and over again. We've got to get this, guys. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And, the, and it's not just that they accuse you. It's not that they just resist you. And it says, and that is why the world hates you. That actually, if we're going to live this way, if we're going to be citizens of heaven, that we should expect the world to resist and even hate us, <clears throat> to misunderstand us. It's okay. You know, the, the early Christians, that it happened all over the place. You see it in Scripture where they, they would celebrate communion. What a beautiful, wonderful thing. And do you know what the world said? The world said, they're a bunch of cannibals. They, eat, they drink blood and eat flesh. I mean, totally twisting what they were doing. And, and then they would, they would throw down their idols. And you know what the Romans said? Well, they're atheists. They don't believe in our gods. And then they wouldn't join in the festivals and they wouldn't join in the parties and then the accusation came against them. Well, they have a hatred for mankind. They hate people. They hate us, right? I mean, what a lie that's in our culture right now is because we want to stand for what's right. We want to stand for what's true. We hate you. What? What a twisting. Actually, the reason that we want others to do what's right and true is because we love you. And we want you to experience the life that God has for you. And then they walked in loyalty to God. And Rome said, well, they are disloyal to Caesar. And here's the lesson. 
Here's one of the things that I'm, I'm learning. Now, when anyone brings a criticism or a complaint, the first thing that I do is I say, okay, Jesus, do you have something for me here? I'm not above that. I want to listen, God. Just show me. I want to humble myself. But I've been through this enough that I've learned this lesson, and it is simply this. There is really no point in trying to satisfy your critics because they want to criticize. The world wants to criticize you. The world wants to push against you. And there's no point in us working to satisfy the values and demands of this world because no matter what you do, it will want more. No matter how far you compromise, it will say that is not enough. It wants more loyalty to itself and more compromise from you. And the world will not be happy with your compromise and your agreement to its ways until there is none of you left. Then it'll stop. It won't stop until your destiny and your calling and the world-changing power of the Holy Spirit within you to transform this world has been completely extinguished. Then the world will be satisfied. Then it'll be happy. And I am going to be kind and I'm going to be loving and I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to be empathetic and I'm going to reach out. But I am not going to be in agreement with the values and the heart of this world. This isn't my home. I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm going to live like a citizen of heaven. And it's no fun to be misunderstood and it's, it's worse to be falsely accused but there's something that's worse than both of those things and it's compromise of who you really are in Christ. It's much worse to compromise your call and your destiny and the power of God so that others will like you or agree with you. To trade the glory of the call of our God for comforts and acceptance of this world, that's a fool's choice. Keeping your heart pure before God is absolutely worth it. And don't forget where your citizenship or, where it belongs. It's amazing. God wants to move. I'm finding it here. I'm finding it in my own heart. I'm finding it in the church. And you know what it is? I see that we're finally, finally breaking up with the world that we wanted one foot there and we wanted one foot here, we wanted to have it all. And finally the church is just saying that. Finally we, as his followers, are like, no, I'm going as far over into Christ as I can. The world, do your thing, but that's not what I want. We're trying to, to be friends. I mean, since when has that been our goal? You know, a passage that we often um, quote, but, but we forget about the context. It's Romans 12. I want to show you this for just a second here. And we always quote the second part, which is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Powerful, powerful words. So true. This brings real change to change our thinking. But we forget what it says right before that. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's not just talking about have good thoughts. It's not just talking about being positive. Listen, those are important things. But it's saying, quit thinking like the world thinks. It's time to change our thoughts and our behavior. It's time to be different. And change starts right up here to say, I am not in this world. We've changed our citizenship here. And it doesn't say, well, don't be angry about the world. It doesn't say, well, well don't judge, condemn the world. It, it doesn't say stop the world. It just says don't conform to its patterns. And worldly thinking, listen, worldly thinking is short-term thinking. Worldly thinking is comfort thinking. 
Worldly thinking is self-focused thinking. And worldly thinking confuses right from wrong. And I want to give you permission. In fact, I want to urge you to think differently. We were at um, the Uray Hot Springs uh, a number of years ago. And uh, uh, as we were sitting there soaking, one of the lifeguards kind of pointed up at the cliffs. And then another lifeguard did. And then like all the lifeguards were looking up at the cliffs. So I started looking up at the cliffs. And everybody was looking up at the cliffs. I mean, the whole pool was looking at the cliffs. And it occurred to me, I don't think anything's up there. And then I thought, you know what? If I was a lifeguard, this is how I would pass the time. I would tell my buddies, I'd be like, hey, let's play make them look. So I don't know if there was anything up there or not. But listen, you could just let them go on by. They're all looking that way. You ever gone to a, like a concert and you're like, you're in a line and you don't even know why? I hope, I'm in, I'm hope, I hope this is the bathroom line. And you get to the front and it's like, oh shoot, it was the churros line. I needed the bathroom, right? Let the world go there. Let the world run after things. We're different. We have a different citizenship. Listen, it is okay. And not, not okay, it is essential, listen, that you can say, parents, listen, you can say, but that's not how our family does it. That's how the world does it. It's okay. In fact, it's essential to say, well, that's how the kids at school, that's what they do with their phones. That's not what we do with our phones. And then tell them, yeah, sure, it feels uncomfortable and sure, it feels different and you may feel persecuted. Well, guess what? That's part of walking with Jesus. That's how it is. It's okay. It's important for you to say, you know what? That's what everyone else watches. It's not what we watch. I don't allow that stuff in our home. Everyone, they think that way. Everyone believes that way. That's not what we think. That's not how we believe. Our family, we're foreigners. We're strangers here. And we don't look like, at things like the world looks at them. Listen, we don't look and think about abortion like the world does. We don't think about gender like the world does. We don't think about sexuality like the world does. We don't think about money like the world does. We don't think about success like the world does. We don't think about rights or entitlement like the world does. We don't think about outcasts and the poor and the weak and the widows and the orphans like the world does. We don't think about the lost and the broken like the world does. We look at it like citizens from heaven. And we come in and we see the way the world does it and we think, that's odd. That's foreign to me. You know, foreigners can see through the problems of the culture. It's amazing when we go on mission trips that you see that culture actually affects the church. When you go to Haiti and you see it feels like there's corruption in the church, you shouldn't be too surprised because it's everywhere in culture. Or when we go to Norway, you know, or one of the European countries, and we're like, wow, it seems like just like kind of a different idea of sexuality is right here in the middle of the church. Should you be surprised? And in the same way, I've had many friends, my friends from Europe, who would say, I cannot believe the violence that the American church will stomach. I can't believe what you guys will watch. I can't believe the greed that I see in the American church. See, when did the goal for the church it, to ever become, when did it ever become to fit in with this world? It's this really strange strategy that we have here. Let's win over the world by becoming just like it. Now, we're not better. We're not above. 
But we are set apart. We are holy. And we are called to be salt and light. And Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, if it loses its flavor, what good is it? Just throw it out. There's no point. And if you're salty, if you're full of life, listen, the world is not going to like it. But the ones who are called by him will be drawn to it. And you and I, we are headed for a different destination than this world. And we walk at a different pace and we walk to a different drum. I want to show you one last example, another heavy hitter, the uh, author of Hebrews. And look what he says about it. It's this wonderful passage called uh, The Hall of Faith. And it's talking about these amazing patriarchs and, and these ones who live for God in the Old Testament. And here's a summary of it in verse 13. And it says, all, 11.13 of Hebrews, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They're waiting for the Messiah. And here we are again. And they admitted it, that they were aliens and strangers, just like us on this earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. See, our different country. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, just like you and I. And I love this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared a city for us. See, we're living not for the temporary, we're living for the eternal. And as we do, God says, I am not ashamed to call you my son and my daughter, and I am preparing a home for you because that is where your home is. And they're waiting for the Messiah in the same way that you and I are waiting for the return of Jesus. And they didn't get to see it, and I hope that we do get to see it. But they shaped their lives around this hope, this longing, and this desire. And here we are waiting expectantly for God to move among us, waiting expectantly for Jesus to come to bring revival and transformation, longing for it. I have a pastor friend who lives in Estonia, and, and he lived underneath the, the communist rule there when the Soviets uh, were over Estonia. You know, one of the amazing things about uh, the Estonian revolution, uh, that they broke free from uh, the Soviets through, uh, uh, through hymns. It's called the Singing Revolution. You should check it out. It's amazing. Not any blood was shed. They're just songs. But anyway, he would go, and he just longed for freedom. And so he lived in Tallinn, just on the north side of the country, and he'd go as far west as he could. And then he would come to the end of the land, and so he would get in his kayak, and then he would paddle out further west to an island. And then he would go around that island, and he would just keep going west. And he would go to the westernmost point of Estonia, and he would just look west, longing for freedom, longing for what we have, longing for democracy, longing for change. And I tell you, it's the same way, that we are going to the very edge, just longing for the move of God waiting and hoping, oh God, please come. And I want to encourage you to keep longing. Keep looking. Keep looking and longing for home because Jesus will return. Jesus' kingdom will come and his will will be done right here among us as it is in heaven. So prepare your hearts. Come out of the world. Get ready for our home. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.